The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Bienvenidos a más una edición. Parking the Bus Podcast. Yeah, there's a little Spanish for you because today we are in Spain to start the show today. That's right. This is the Latin European edition of the Parking the Bus Podcast. And today in episode 18, Spain and Italy are the main topics on the docket. And we'll also dabble a little bit into a couple of the other Latin leagues in Europe. Most notably, we're going to look back at a derby in Greece between Ike and Olympiacos. And we'll close out the show with a quick uh, with a quick look at the table in Portugal as well. But it is going to be mostly about La Liga and Serie A in this edition of Parking the Bus. I hope everyone is having a great first week of 2021. Happy New Year once again to everybody listening wherever you are around the world. And thank you, like I said, for joining me. I hope you're enjoying this new format of daily podcasts. Um, or almost daily. I think it's going to come out to about five or six a week. We'll see if I can keep this pace up, but we're off to a good start. And um, uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed the UK and the Germany-France edition so far. As um, I've enjoyed doing it this way, to be honest. It's it's, it's a lot less um, stressful for me because a lot of times doing the podcast the way I did before on Sunday nights, trying to cram everything in and trying to keep the show to like an hour and a half was very, very difficult. And, you know, I do a lot of work, a lot of research to end up cutting half of what I had written down out just to fit the show into an appropriate time slot. This way we get shorter shows and we, we get more in-depth information throughout the course of the week and this way it gives you something to listen to every morning on your commute to work right uh we drop these podcasts late in the evening here on the east coast of the united states and if you don't know by now i am the host the mr mike agustinio here in worcester massachusetts on the east coast of the united states about 40 minutes west of boston and um i'm dropping these episodes like i said in the evening of in the evening my time before before uh, the day that they're slated for. So what I mean by that is, for example, a Tuesday episode I try to drop on Monday night. If you're if you are subscribing to the Parking the Bus uh, podcast in the PTB Media Network, you're getting it first. If you're listening on a Mister Benfica on that feed, then you're getting it when basically whenever I feel like putting the episode into that feed. Um, on Mr. Benfica, parking the bus will be preempted. So if there's a Benfica match or if there is, um, you know, a Benfica women's match, which there is tomorrow and I'm psyched for, 
and maybe I'll hit on that when we talk Portugal at the very end of the uh, of the episode. But um, which there is tomorrow. There won't be a parking the bus episode necessarily on the same day. Okay, so they're going to be used on the Mr. Benfica feed to plug in. You know where there's where there's space, um, but obviously the priority on the Mr. Benfica feed. Is going to be to Mr. Befica. So if you like parking the bus, please subscribe where you get your podcast, preferably on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and subscribe to Parking the Bus and give us a good rating and uh, some good comments so that we can help get this podcast off the ground and get it out to more and more people. I know there is a giant world of football supporters out there looking for something to listen to on their drive to work every morning and like I said I put this out at night so that by the morning it is in your podcast uh, player and even if you're in Europe you're getting it by the time you get up for your morning commute uh, this podcast will be in your player so please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to follow the Parking the Bus podcast and the PTB Media Network on Twitter at PTB underscore media and on Instagram at PTB underscore media. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. You're going to hear a quick message from PTB Media about some of the content coming up this year in 2021 here on the network and on the Parking the Bus feed. And when we come back, we're going to park the bus right in Spain. We're going to España. And we will start with La Liga results. Round 17 in La Liga in the books in the first weekend of 2021. This is Parking the Bus. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinio. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network. Your English language home of Copa Libertadores. Welcome back to the Parking the Bus podcast, episode 18, Spain and Italy. We are now parking the bus in the Spanish capital. We are in Madrid, where we're going to start. But first, let's review the fixtures from this round. Number 17 in Spain, uh, starting on Saturday, January the 2nd. The first match played in 2021 in Spain was a Valencian derby. It was Villarreal winning 2-1 over Levante. Another derby later that day in the city of Seville. It was Real Betis 1, Sevilla 1. Getafe nil Real Valladolid 1, Real Madrid 2, Celta Vigo nil. We move to Sunday. And on Sunday we get Athletic Bilbao 1, Elche nil. Deportivo Alaves 1, Atletico Madrid 2, Ibar 2, Granada 0, Real Sociedad 1, Osasuna 1, and Huesca 0, Barcelona 1. One match on Monday, that was Valencia 1, Cadiz 1. That is the results for round 16. Now let's look at some of the talking points this week in Spanish La Liga. So like we said, we start in the capital in Madrid with the league leaders as is only fair. We're, we're talking about uh, not Real, but Atleti. That's right, Atletico Madrid right now, the top of the table. And they get a big win this past weekend as they pull themselves back up to the top spot with a 2-1 victory away from home at Alaves. And in the process, retain top spot despite having two matches in hand 
on City Rivals and second place Real Madrid. Now, um, is this finally the year for Diego Simeone and the Colchoneros? Are they finally going to win the La Liga title this year? In my opinion, the league has been ripe for them to win for the past two and a half seasons or so. Um, especially the last two seasons, they should have taken advantage of the their rivals, you know, downfall to an extent. Both Real Madrid and Barcelona have underperformed in the past two seasons, in my opinion. And but for Barcelona, it's only getting worse right now. And I think they're in an identity crisis and in a a personnel crisis that they've knew it's a it's an issue that I think Barcelona knew was going to come someday and they've just tried to put it off as long as they possibly could because of what it all means but from the Atleti standpoint they they should have won the league by now meaning in the past two seasons I really thought that they should have been able to do it however they do find themselves top of the table now we are in the new year we are nearly at the the halfway point of the La Liga season 17 rounds in next week will be the midway point and they find themselves still top of the table which is good but they've been here before and this is where my doubt comes in and I, I am somebody who sympathizes with Atleti above the other teams in Spain that's who I prefer to see win at this point um I prefer Atletico Madrid to to Barcelona or to Real Madrid I'll be honest I I've I've had quite a in uh I've had quite an epiphany <laughs> over the years with Spanish football starting off, you know, being enamored with Barcelona in the in the late probably late 2000s to the 2010s and, and being being, you know, blindly in love with, with the Tiki Taka. I was there at one point. I've come to 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 see it much differently now over time, but there was a time when boy did I love watching 52 passes connect before the ball went in the goal and it used to be mesmerizing because it was something different it was different than what we had been seeing you know up to that point we had seen a lot of English style football with a lot of athletic and a lot of fast-paced open football with you know with little technique if you will and a lot of power and strength and a lot of abil- a lot of athletic ability and then Barcelona changed the whole way the game was played. So I was I was on board at that time. I have fallen away from Barcelona for, for different reasons. Okay. I was I was a fan of their game and their style. Not so much I you know, the club I, I can't I cannot, you know, pledge any allegiance to a club in, in Spain. I've never, you know, felt a club in my heart or anything like that. I've always watched Spain with with somewhat neutral eyes and, and kind of just gone with who I like by how they were playing. And basically since CR seven left Real Madrid, I've been I've been watching Atleti and waiting for Atleti to to take that jump, to take that rocket ship, you know, that launch into the into the stratosphere. And take over the top spot in La Liga at a time where the rivals are regrouping. Because Real Madrid and Barcelona are not going to stay down long. Atleti need to pounce on it. Can they win it this year? Of course they can. Will they? That's a whole different story. And to be honest, if history is any indication, and I'm not one to really get too into history when you talk about football matches per se, but when it comes to championships and long league races, 38 matches in Spain, history does play a role because 
Honestly, every time Real Madrid are up against the gun and need to get a result, they get it. Case in point, earlier this season, when they hosted Atleti, when Atleti had a chance to just essentially bury them in the sand, drown them, whatever analogy you want to use for murder. <laughs> Atleti had the chance to do that to Real Madrid earlier, and they couldn't do it. Real Madrid, when they need to, when they want to, can still play brilliant football. And even if it's ugly, they know how to get results. So it's hard. It's hard for me to sit here and count out Real Madrid, especially when I would prefer that it's Atleti that comes out on top. But... Real Madrid keep up the pressure on their capital city rivals this weekend, winning 2-0 over Celta Vigo. Celta Vigo is another club that I pay some attention to. Um, they're a club that interests me, given that they are from the Galicia um, community, I guess you would call it, the Galicia country, uh, one that is culturally very closely tied to my culture, my Portuguese culture. Galician and Portuguese is very, very close. You know, we're almost almost brothers, if you will. Um, and in fact, the languages are, are even closer than, say, Portuguese and Castilian Spanish are. Plus, we have a shared history, and um, our languages did evolve from the same the same language. The predecessor to the two languages was the same uh, Galician slash Portuguese ancient language. So I do I do pay some attention to Celta Vigo for those reasons, as their regional uh, rivals Deportivo La Coruña are nowhere to be found in the in the top flight. Obviously, as they are going through their own hard time. But really, uh, Real Madrid do it again, and they get a man of the match performance from Marco Asensio. And he would pick up a goal, as would Lucas Vasquez. And the 2-0 result is all that Real Madrid would need. Zinedine Zidane, the manager, however, being criticized for allowing Celta so much possession. Ah, yes, that possession. If you've listened to this podcast before, if you listen to Mr. Benfica, if you've listened to Mr. Portugal or anything that I have ever spoken or written on, well, then you know what I think about possession and um possession again without context means nothing so let's get a little context into the possession celta you look a little deeper into the stats and you'll see that it tells a much different story than just looking at possession because celta were outdone in every other major statistical category shots shots on goals you know um attacking third play things like that it all went the way of real madrid what they did essentially was they allowed they allowed celta to have the ball and to make their own mistakes and and the merengues were ready to pounce on it whenever the galician side would error and it's quietly four victories in a row for the champions the defending champions despite people everywhere on every platform on every show every pundit essentially writing them off already saying they're they're done and dusted because of of Atleti's matches in hand well matches in hand only help if you win them and Atleti have a history of not winning the easy ones and you know squandering championships that way so I'm not ready to write off Real Madrid just yet and like I said four wins out of five in their last you know in their last group of matches there and by no means anywhere near being out of this competition. It's it's hardly, in my opinion, it's hardly Atletis to lose at this point. There's so much football still to play. 
Barcelona, on the other hand, they win despite another subpar performance, at least on the finishing end and in the final third. Uh, Frankie de Jong's 27th minute goal was all that the Blaugrana would need to pick up a road victory at Huesca. No room in the 11 for Antoine Griezmann, interestingly enough. He wouldn't appear in the match until the 81st minute. Is there some issues there between Griezmann and Ronald Koeman, one must ask. Barcelona had a lopsided edge in yep, possession. Their favorite stat. Something I've come to really that despise about Barcelona and about the tiki-taka is the emphasis on possession. I just told you what I think about it. Now here's a club with the complete polar opposite view as they hold the ball for seven. Listen to these stats. They are beautiful. 70% possession. 17 scoring opportunities for Barcelona. Almost 800 completed passes in this one for a 91% efficiency rate. That is through the roof. And all that only for a 1-0 result that... One counterattack could have completely taken two points from them to show for it. And I don't know about you, and maybe this is just my personal view, but do Barca not look like a bit of a relic right now? They look like they're playing a football from a time that has gone by. It looks like football is passing them by. They're still trying to win doing things they were doing 10 years ago. And unfortunately, they're holding on, you know, they're trying to win the way they won with players that are no longer there. And this is something I see in a lot of quote unquote big clubs and big managers trying to play the same way with different personnel. This is why managers don't stay at the top for very long, you know, a lot of them. You see managers come and go. You've seen Jose Mourinho climb to the very pinnacle. With with Inter, for example, probably the highest point to now of his 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 of his achievement in football and of his his tactician uh, brain, you know, his tactical awareness and of his if you want to call it a coaching performance. Okay, but he kept playing that way. He went to Real Madrid, and yeah, he won a La Liga there. He didn't win the Champions League with Real Madrid, which is what he went there to do. He changed the way Real Madrid played. Okay, some of the supporters didn't like that. He goes on back to Chelsea, wins another title. Can't win the Champions League. But slowly, the game changes. And Jose continues to play the same way with different personnel. Jose goes to Manchester United for a year. It worked great. And then players got sick of playing that way. And now, you see the evolution come full circle for him at Tottenham, where... It's like he's gone back to his 2008, 2009, 2010 self. But he has the proper personnel, the right players to play that way. But you can't say that he didn't fail to find another way to play all these years when things weren't going well. So many had ridden him off and he hasn't not been Super Jose for a long time. And what I'm trying to say with all this is that you know, managers and their inability to adapt. And I think Simeone at Atletico Madrid also facing this to an extent. He's slowly changing the way Atleti play. But you saw when he played Real Madrid, he stuck with what he knew. And he reverted to a style that his his roster is not built to play. You go and spend a record fee for a player like João Felix. And 
now you got him playing 60 yards from his own goal, cutting passing lanes. It's, you know, it, it it's one thing, you know, when you have the teams that 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 Simeone had in the past decade, the type of players that fit that game, that's fine. There's no right or wrong way to play the game. One, one thing I really hate, and I think this is where I became so turned off to Barcelona, is that they they had this this sense, at least with their supporters, and even in the way that their managers and their players and club directors would speak, that they were playing the right football, that their way was the right way, and, and anyone who tries to win any other way is almost like disgraceful and cheating the game. Well, I don't believe that, obviously. I believe that the manager needs to be able to adapt his game for the team he has. You can't always go buy a brand new team. And you don't have enough time as a manager in the modern world to build a team piece by piece. You get sacked. You, four, five, you know, four, five, six, seven rounds without results. And you're you're on the way out, man. You're you're looking you're looking at your own demise. So, you know, Ronald Coleman, I think, is trying to find that middle ground. But the problem at Barcelona is so much deeper. It's so much deeper than Ronald Coleman. It's so much deeper than than Antoine Griezmann or or any other player. Even it's deeper than than Lionel Messi. It's the point that Barcelona's run has come to an end, in terms of. You know, the system of play was fit for another generation. Very little evolution in their system of play. And this is going to sound crazy, but I've said it before. It's time to move on Lionel Messi so that you can start to rebuild a new team. Because if you don't get something for him, one day he's going to be gone and you're going to be left with, with a youth team to try to, to rebuild brand old old ways of playing and trying to rehash old old glories on players that are not ready for that level someone else needs to ascend into the leadership role of this club and i don't think it's signing players like antoine griezmann that are going to be the difference i think i think that barcelona made a a terrible mistake in bringing antoine griezmann in in my opinion and um, I don't think Atleti are missing them, obviously. Maybe they are. In the long run, Atleti are, are going to be just fine with Juan Felix, obviously, and with, with other guys that have emerged, you know, Yanni Carrasco, and um, you got Correa, and you've got just a, a slew of, of young players at at uh, Atletico Madrid that, you know, had, had Griezmann stayed there, I think he would have been holding back the team from growing. It would be all about Griezmann, and it'd be all about you know Diego Costa and the old guys. And instead, you've got this influx of young talent who are changing the way slowly but surely the way that Atleti play. And even though you've got you've got veterans like Suarez and Diego Costa there, but they're not the focal points anymore. This is it's a very balanced Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona need to get back to that. And I think while while Lionel Messi, as great as he is. Probably the greatest to ever wear the Barcelona shirt in the history of the club, the hundred and twenty year history of the club, or more than that now, twenty hundred and I would say twenty five year history of the club. Um, he's probably the greatest to ever wear it, and that's saying something. And especially he wore it for the longest. On top of that, and I think the last thing for him to do to help this club is to be sold and to bring an influx of cash that the club needs desperately. So they can start to rebuild and have some kind of future. 
They don't want to be in a rebuild for five or six years if they wait too long to start and if they don't get something for Lionel Messi. That's my personal opinion. It's hard. I'm not, like I said, a, a Barcelona supporter per se, but... If I were in that structure and I were trying to figure out how to rebuild this team, if I'm Ronald Coleman, and I think Ronald Coleman uh, believes this deep down, it's time to start making changes. It's time to start going in a different direction. Otherwise, you know, you could see the likes of Atleti and Real Madrid just kind of leave you behind. If they don't have the money to go buy 11 new starters and build a team from scratch, you know, they have to be smart. And money right now is tough to come by for everybody. Even for Real Madrid, money's tough to come by. You're playing in empty stadiums, okay? You got nothing but TV money coming in, okay? You're not selling merchandising as much. You're not selling, you know, stadium tours, things like that. There's a lot of influx of cash that has been cut off from these teams. Yes, they deal in high, high values of money. There's no question about it. The amount of money they still have would, would put the average club, you know, on cloud nine, but in reality, and when compared to to you know the top clubs in the world, it's a tight budget right now, and I think that this is I do believe this is Lionel Messi's final season at Barcelona, and <laughs> Ronald Koeman has said that he believes they can still win the title. We'll have to wait and see about that. Um, I don't want to count them out either because they've got Lionel Messi, and Lionel Messi is perfectly capable of going on a three, four month tear and just, you know, pulling off 10, 11, 12 victories in a row. And all of a sudden, you know, they've picked up 36 points and they're right there in the challenge for the title because the teams, Real and Atleti, will probably lose points going forward. This is a competitive league, but anything can still happen. But I think that Barcelona really are at a crossroads, and it is, and I think Ronald Koeman recognizes that he's taking some heat for it because it's his the, what he wants to do. I think is is unpopular, but I think it is necessary um, to go in a new direction. And of course, they have a presidential election this spring, which obviously the Parking the Bus podcast is going to cover. I have a little have a little experience in covering elections. Um, those of you that listen to Mr. Benfica. You can go back and listen to my hours of coverage of that election earlier this fall. I'll be happy, happy to to cover and watch on a very key election at Football Club Barcelona. Moving on, we had another derby, and it is in the city of Seville. It is Sevilla and Real Betis playing um, for the bragging rights in the city and obviously for three points it ends 1-1. Nobody gets the three points. They have to share the spoils, as they say, in Sevilla. Miss a chance, for now at least, to get into the top four. They do have two matches in hand on the fourth place, Villarreal, and three matches in hand on the third place, Real Sociedad, who are the only team in La Liga at this at this time to have played 18 matches. And speaking of derbies, we got the Val- Valencian derby. Like we said, and it's Villarreal, 2-1 winners, as we read off earlier, over their rivals Levante and the Yellow Submarine in the top four right now. A goal from La Liga's joint top scorer, 
Gerard Moreno helps Villarreal to three points. They would also get an early goal from Fernino, while Sergio Leon would get the consolation goal for Levante. And speaking about Valencia, uh, Valencians, excuse me, we stay in that community and we go uh, to the capital city of that community, the city of Valencia, and of course Valencia Club Football, the biggest club in the region, and they are going through some serious hard times, dropping two more points on Monday at home to League newcomers La Liga new- newcomers Cadiz. One one is all they could muster. And they're at a real low point in their club right now. Uh, the supporters absolutely abhor the owner, Peter Lim. And who can blame him? Uh, Peter Lim is everything that is wrong in modern football with foreign investment, in my opinion. I don't think foreign investment is, is bad, per se. I think it can be done right. We've seen it done right. Okay, We've seen it done at Liverpool specifically, where Fenway Sports Group, an American group, stepped in. And they have done it right. They have been respectful to Liverpool's history. They've been respectful to their culture. They have talked about keeping the cop, uh, sorry, keeping Anfield up. They know the importance of the cop. I think because as an American group, they're coming from the Boston Red Sox baseball uh, organization. Very similar stature and history to Liverpool Football Club. And I think what what that was was. That's a case of foreign owners being a good match for the club that they have purchased. Uh, we look at Manchester City in their city football group or RB Leipzig in the Red Bull football group. You know, completely different. That's a whole different business model. So I'm not going to really put them in a in either category when it comes to foreign investment. But we've seen, you know, Manchester United have their issues with, with the Glazers. We've seen, you know, uh, we've seen... Issues at Roma with American owners. We've seen, I know, in Portugal, there every year there's three or four clubs who decide to sell, you know, large shares of their club to foreign investment, and then they fold because the money runs dry, and it's just problem when you get foreign investment. It's not about them being foreign. Okay, another great example in England of foreign investment is Leicester City, right? But a really bad example of foreign foreign uh, investment in England also is Hull City where the owner wanted to change their name to the Hull Tigers and have an American model for for marketing reasons and for what he called branding reasons and Peter Lim at Valencia has the same thick-headed short-sighted look at football and he's coming in with thinking of it as a business and as somebody who likes business? I like business. I read business journals every day. I read business news every day. I look at economical uh, new eco- um, economics is something I, I keep up with. Okay, one is not the same as the other. You can't come into a football club, and then you have your family telling Valencia supporters that the Lem family owns the club. They don't. That's not how it works in football. Hardcore football supporters believe even. And, and what you have in, in Spain, in a, for example, when you look at Real Madrid and, and FC Barcelona especially, they run the same model that the big clubs have in Portugal. They are democratic clubs. They don't have a owner per se. They have a, a membership that owns the club and that votes on who leads the club. Okay. 
The problem is, like in Portugal, in Spain, the teams have had to form what they call these SADs, S-A-D, Sociedad Autónoma Deportiva, okay? The Autonomous Sports Society. It basically incorporates these clubs as a business. So, Real Madrid and in Barcelona and I believe Atletico Madrid as well as the Basque sides if I'm I'm there may be one or two others also were exempt from having to to associate these sads okay but the majority of Spanish teams now in order to to guarantee a certain financial security within La Liga they need to have these autonomous sports societies running the business so basically as it was explained to me once, what you now have is two, two entities from which you can borrow against if you are. And this is what's happening at other clubs, and we'll talk, you know, and we're, we're focusing on Valencia now. But you go into debt very easily because now not only do you have this huge line of credit for your club and your membership who pay membership dues, Okay, the clubs in Spain still have members who pay membership dues even when they have foreign owners. Okay, so you have that influx. Okay, and then you have this new body that quote unquote owns the business side of the club. And, uh, you know, it's made up of wealthy people, obviously. It's a society. It's not just one person. What happens is Peter Lim bought it, bought all this out. He's, he's insanely rich and wealthy and bought all this out. And he bought out a body of people. And all of a sudden now you have this other entity that you can borrow against. It's like having two credit cards and what football clubs all around the world are doing and have done. And now it's catching up to them thanks to COVID and the end of the line of credit. is. It's like you or I having a MasterCard, maxing out that MasterCard. And then deciding, you know, well, I don't have money to pay it, but hey, I'm going to go and borrow and I'm going to take out a Visa card now and I'm just going to buy everything on the Visa card until that's maxed out. And basically what's happening is now with money becoming tight and with COVID, you know, disrupting the economy, these lenders are coming are coming for their, you know, they're coming for their share. They want to be repaid what they, lo- what they, you know, what they loaned out and they're calling their debts and these clubs don't even have the slightest you know uh oppor- not opportunity but ability to to repay what they owe these these clubs all these clubs have giant liens against their books i don't know if people understand the massive amount of money that they borrow and peter lim has spent a massive amount of money at valencia and it's it was not working, okay? And you can go back, and there was an article about a, you know, I would say it was back in September or so about the situation, and I don't remember if it was in the Times or the Guardian or where where I read it, but they talked about what what's happening is that the club now is cutting all spending because there's no money coming in. TV money from La Liga is is all that's coming in, and it's not enough for the insane amount of money that these clubs were spending, and creditors are coming so they know that they cannot go bankrupt and therefore players were were just let go we saw a number of players join their rivals of Real on free or or little to nothing transfers because the club that badly needed to get their salaries off the books they let players go for free okay and 
it's left the club in a very, very precarious uh, place financially. And again, they have an owner who doesn't get it, who thinks that this is a business to the point where the person interviewed in this article I read said that it was a manager, I believe, or a, uh, a sporting director. The club had won the Copa del Rey, and the, the, the owner was unhappy that they had not been eliminated earlier because of the financial cost it put on the club coupled with it hurting their qualification for the UEFA Champions League. This is all that's wrong with modern football. There's a lot that's right with modern football. I like modern football, but there are certain things that are wrong. And Peter Lim embodies a lot of that, okay? He embodies a lot of that. And um, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get his support base. He doesn't care about them. He looks only in terms of qualification for Champions League, Champions League money. Well, now he's got a club that is fighting off relegation. And I did note here that a long list of injured and suspended players for this match for, for Valencia. It doesn't help the manager, Javi Gracia. And ha Javi Gracia is got a tough job of trying to turn the th turn things around for this Valencia side that have very little hope. I'm going to take a look here. And we look at what Valencia has here as a 11 in this matchup against Cadiz, a low, lowly Cadiz who were just promoted through the playoff system in the second division, La Segunda, you know, La Liga B, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so Valencia lines up in a 4-4-2 with uh, Joame and goal. Thierry Cohea is the right back. Um, Mutkar Diakabi is in central defense with Hugo Gijamon and Jose Gaija is the captain at left back. Four in midfield, uh, Denis Cherisev, Daniel Vaz, Carlos Soler, and then the American for now, Janus Musha, uh, also in that starting lineup up front, Kevin Gamedo and Maximiliano Gomez. Okay. Um, Interesting, I mentioned uh, Musha. We'll talk about him when I get around to talking about the U.S. men's national team, possibly tomorrow if there's time. If not, it'll be next week in a North American episode. But um, he's kind of American. He's kind of British. He's really undecided on where he's going to play his international football. But um, obviously of interest to American fans is this player, and you don't want to see uh, this team get relegated, and you never want one of your promising young 18-year-old players to be relegated, even though it could be a valuable experience in his career. Um, but Valencia, really with all kinds of issues, they've got only one win in their last five, and they've now lost three. They Or they had lost three straight coming into this one and then picking up only a single point at home to Kadish. And things are not looking good, like I said. And it would be a real, real tragedy, really, for Spanish football, for La Liga, for the TV audience around the world that follows La Liga, if Valencia were to be relegated this year. That would really, really be a black mark. And I don't know if Peter Lim understands. And it could be very, very hard for Valencia to come back. Their their contracts are not in good places. They owe money to a lot of people, and who knows what kind of squad they'd be able to build in La Liga B or La Liga 2 next season. Let's go now to the table then. And top of the table, like we said, with two matches in hand, it is Atletico Madrid 
38 points from 15 matches, plus 23 goal difference. Second place is Real Madrid. They have their two back with 36 points. Remember, Real Madrid have the tiebreaker on Atleti right now, regardless of goal difference, because they won in the head-to-head matchup. Uh, Atletico will have to reverse that result when they meet in the second half of the season. Third place, the only team with 18 matches so far, as we said, is Real Sociedad. They have 30 points in fourth place right now. Vigia Real won back with 29. Fifth, already creeping the top four, is Barcelona, and they have 28 points. That's what I said. They're only 10 back. Like I said, if they went on a run where they won 10 games in a row and picked up 30 points, I wouldn't be surprised if that was enough to catapult them into the lead. Of course, this all changes if Atleti win their matches in hand. And, um, well, we'll see when those matches come. If Atleti can win those, those are going to be very, very highly heavy pressure matches because Atleti has to win them if they really want to be serious about trying to win this title this year. If they get those six points, then maybe Barcelona could really be... um, Really be too far away to catch him for the La Liga title. But Ronald Koeman, like I said, still believes Barcelona can be champion. Sixth place, Sevilla, 27 points. Seventh place is Granada. They are through to the next round, as you know, uh, to the knockout stages of the Europa League. And they're right on the edge of a European spot again in seventh, 24 points. One below them is Celta Vigo in eighth, 23 points. Athletic Bilbao, ninth with 21 points. Cadiz making a good maiden run in La Liga, or not a maiden, but a long overdue return to La Liga, as they are 10th with 20 points, same as 11th place Real Betis. Ibar is 12th with 19 points, Levante 13th with 18, also Deportivo Alaves is 14th with 18, and Real Valladolid also 18 points, they're 15th. Hetafe is 16th with 17 points. Valencia, we just talked about him, 17th place, only 16 points, same as 18th place Elche. They are literally, the water is up to their chin, and they're about to go under if they don't turn it around. Valencia, that is, only three wins in 17 matches, and the teams behind them, Elche have two matches in hand on them. Elche's got 16 points, but from 15 matches. Osasuna with 14 points, but from 16 matches. If they win their match in hand, they would also pass Valencia. And in 20th place, last place, is Huesca with 12 points from 17 matches. Let's look at the the goal-scoring leaders in La Liga. We've got three with nine goals. We talked about one of them. It was Gerard Moreno of Villarreal. He has nine goals, four of them from the penalty spot. Ahead of him um, on the tiebreaker, which is the penalties, uh, the penalty goals, the goal scored by penalty. First top scorer is from Atleti. It is Luis Suarez. No goals from the penalty spot, but nine goals total in Iago Aspas. Of Celta Vigo also with nine goals. In fourth with eight goals is Karim Benzema of Real Madrid. And in behind him with seven, there are two. One very familiar name to this list, to this Pichichi list. And that is Lionel Messi. Seven goals, two from the penalty spot. While Mikel uh, Oyarzabal of, of uh, Real Sociedad has seven goals, five of them from the penalty spot. 
And then we have a slew of players with six and five goals. Too many to list. Um, that is the goal scoring race right now in La Liga. Now, we got some football coming up tomorrow in La Liga. First, we got a league match between Athletic Bilbao and Football Club Barcelona. That match will kick off at 3 p.m. Eastern Time here in the United States. That's 9 p.m. in Spain. And we also have Copa del Rey. Let's quickly run down the fixture list for Copa del Rey. And Copa del Rey actually got started today, Tuesday, the 5th of January. So here are the results from today. It starts off with a shocker. It is a third division Cordoba with a 1-0 victory over La Liga side Hetafe. Hetafe are out this year. It is single elimination, I believe, until the semifinals in the Copa del Rey. Another La Liga side goes out here in the second round as Celta Vigo travel to Union Deportivo de Ibiza. They must have thought they were going to Ibiza on, on holiday because Ibiza wins 5-2 to two over the La Liga side Celta Vigo. Lenares Deportivo nil Sevilla 2. Zamora 1, Villarreal 4. Alcorcón 2, Real Zaragoza 1, Marbella Football Club 2, Real Valladolid 3 after extra time. Those were the results today. Tomorrow, a whole slew of matches throughout the day. I'm not going to give you times because they basically go from, from sunrise to midnight, <laughs> at least our time here. So you have La Nuncia hosting Elche, Numancia hosting Almeria, Portugalete hosting Levante, Soquelemos, oh sorry, Soquejamos hosting Leganes, uh, Club Haro Deportivo hosting Raja, Rajo Vallecano, Leones uh, hosting Granada, Naval Camero hosting La Palma, Union Mutilvera hosting Real Betis, Cornela hosting Atletico Madrid, Burgos Club Football hosting Real Español, remember Español from La Liga last year. Deportivo La Coruña, Celta's Galician rivals. They host Deportivo Alaves. Olot hosts Osasuna. Castellón hosts Tenerife. Fuenlabrada hosts Mallorca. And Malaga hosts Real Oviedo. And then on Thursday, some more matches to close out the round. It will be Pena Deportivo Santa Eulalia, the longest name so far in the competition. They host Sabadell, Ponte Verda host Cadiz, Amore Bieta host Sporting Gijón, Yeclano host Valencia, Alcoyano host Huesca, Girona, or Girona I should say, host Lugo, and Las Rosas host Ibar. Next week also, we have the Spanish Supercopa, which will take place in Spain. They're not traveling to the Middle East this year for that tournament. It's a four-team tournament, the finalists from the Copa del Rey last season. Now, last season's Copa del Rey final was never played. You have co-champions between the two rivals from the Basque Country, Real Sociedad and Atletic Bilbao. So you have Real Sociedad taking on... Real Sociedad taking on Barcelona, as we said, in one semifinal. That match will be played at the Estadio Arc Angel. 
and then and I believe that's in Malaga. The next day, the other semifinal between Real Madrid and Athletic Bilbao. They'll play at Estadio de la Rosaleda. And then the final will be played the following weekend, of course, between the two winners of those matches. And that is this week's journey to Spain. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're traveling a little bit east and a little bit south to Italia. We'll be right back here on the Park in the Bus podcast. UEFA Euro 2020 this summer here on the Park in the Bus podcast. Welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 18 in Bienvenuto a Italia. They are in Italy now. The bus is parked and we're starting in Serie A. Here's a rundown of the results from this past weekend. What I like about this is they played all these matches on the same day, all on Sunday. A Domenico Calcionero, like they used to do in the old days. Uh, football Sunday is what that translates to. And here are the results from Sunday. Inter, winners at home, 6-2 over Crotone. Atalanta, big winners at home, 5-1 over surprising Sassuolo, who have done very well this season, but were really on the wrong end of a heavy result here. Cagliari, 1, Napoli, 4 in in uh Southern Italy for that one, a Southern Italy derby of sorts. Fiorentina, nil. Bologna, nil. Genoa, one. Lazio, one. Parma, nil. Torino, one. Roma, one. Sampdoria, nil. Spezia, nil. Hellas, Verona, one. Benevento, nil. AC, Milan, two. In the final match of the round, Juventus, four. Udinese won. So let's go to the talking points then in this round of the Italian Serie A, round 15, and it gets started. We're going to start at the top of the table as we should with La Rossaneri, uh, AC Milan. They stay strong at the top of the table. 2-0 victory over Benevento. Goals from Kessi from the penalty spot and another Unusual but incredibly incredibly skillful uh, goal from Rafael Leão. The Portugal U21 international adds to his tally and is continuing to impress at the San Siro for the Rosaneri. Three straight wins now for the leaders in Serie A. However, Inter hot on their, on their tail. Inter... Pick up a 6-2 victory, big-time victory. They keep pace with their eternal city rivals. Latoro Martinez with the hat-trick, while Lukaku and Hakimi each add one of their own and tack on an own goal from Crotone's Marone to make it 6-2. Inter's Serie A win streak now extends to 8 in a row. That's right, eight victories in a row. 24 consecutive points picked up by the Nerazzurri. Napoli and Atalanta win big, as you heard there. 4-1 and 5-1, respectively. Juve wins behind a double from Cristiano Ronaldo, bringing his tally on the season to 14 and keeping him atop of the scoring, uh, the scoring list. But the question this week I ask, 
and perhaps um, it should have been asked already, but we'll see. The next couple of weeks could be pivotal, starting with with today, with Wednesday, the 16th. Or I should say today. When you hear this, it'll be today. It's tomorrow from when I'm recording. But um, with a big matchup against Milan coming on Wednesday, Juve, is it too little, too late for the Biancaneri, for La Vecchia Signora? Um, another victory. However, they were beaten midweek last week, or I should say they were beaten uh, in the previous round 3-0 by Fiorentina, by a less than impressive Fiorentina side. Cristiano Ronaldo is scoring the goals, but I do believe, and I am saying this honestly, that Juventus have become way too reliant on Cristiano Ronaldo to to produce the offense. This is a team that has Alvaro Morata. This is a team that has Paulo Dybala. This is a team with Weston McKinney, who's playing good football. They need to start getting production elsewhere, okay? Chiesa needs to start putting the ball in the goal. You've got, you know, you've got a, a slew of players that have attacking ability we have learned today at the time of recording that Juan Cuadrado has tested positive for COVID-19 so he is out of the match obviously tomorrow um, and he'll probably he's probably out on the weekend's match as well there is a 14 day if I'm not mistaken it's still a 14 day quarantine or isolation period once you test positive and hopefully um, Juan Cuadrado can be back soon for the sake of, of what is becoming, I think it may very well be a fantastic Scudetto race this season. I think the league is getting more and more entertaining every season. The last three seasons that has been trending in the right direction. And I think that, um, well, Juve are in trouble. They're, they're not near the top of the table. They have a, a match in hand on the top two. But they're still, even with a match in hand... 10 points back, so even if they win that match in hand, that's 7 points. That's a lot of points to make up even in a competitive league like Serie A when you're nearing the midpoint. And um, Juve is going to have to start a run soon. If they continue to to have poor results, they're going to be in trouble. Should, you know, should this COVID thing keep coming around and God forbid should Cristiano Ronaldo test positive again or pick up an injury, Juve are going to be in serious trouble. Remember, they lost a number of points when he was out earlier in the season. And, um, you know, Juve really need to turn this truck around and need to start going in the right direction. When you talk about going in the right direction, here's a team trending in the right direction. It is AS Roma, the team from the Capitale, with another win. They win 1-0 to keep to keep the pace with the front two. Edin Dzeko's 72nd-minute goal. The difference as Roma now welcome a new director of football, someone I'm somewhat familiar with, a name I'm used to saying. That's right, their new director of football is Tiago Pinto, who joins from Benfica. He joined on January the 1st. His his command at Benfica ended, his contract ended at, on December the 31st. It was not renewed. He actually didn't even get to, to serve his final match as he had tested positive for covid so he missed the last two weeks of the job at Benfica, but he now takes over at the same post at Roma. And he will work closely with Paulo Fonseca to build a winner for the Giallo Rossi. I think they, they could potentially be a exciting team to watch going forward with that tandem at the, at the, at the helm. Um, let's go to the table uh, now in 
the Serie A. I know we spent a lot of time on La Liga this week, so we'll spend a little less on Serie A. But there's a whole slew of fixtures tomorrow that we will talk about. But as it stands right now, through 15 rounds, Milan are top of the table. 37 points, one point lead on their inner city rivals, Inter. Inter have 36 from 15 matches as well. And Roma, third with 30 points from 15 matches. Fourth place in the final Champions League spot right now. Belong to Napoli. As I said, big win over uh, Cagliari this week in a Southern Derby. They have 28 points from 14 matches. Juventus also on 14 matches. That's because their match with Napoli was originally credited as a forfeit to, to Juventus and then Napoli appealed and won the appeal the match will have to be played three points were subtracted from Juventus which moved them down the table and as a result they find themselves right now in fifth one point behind Napoli one point out of the top four sixth Right now is Sassuolo. As I said, they have been somewhat of a surprise this year. They're holding on to the final European spot right now. 26 points from 15 matches. One point ahead of Atalanta, who will certainly factor um, in the race for the top four. They're still alive in the Champions League as well. Atalanta, uh, 25 points from seven matches. Ellis Verona in the top half. They're eighth with 23 points. Lazio down to ninth. Remember that they finished. What did they finish? Second last year, if my if I remember correctly, maybe third at worst. Um, they have 22 points through 15 matches. Benevento, the promoted side, surprisingly in the top 10, 18 points from 15 matches. One point better than 11th place Sampdoria, who are one point better than 12th place Bologna who are one point better than the two teams in 13th and 14th. So 13th is Udinese on 15 points. Same total for Fiorentina at 14th, 15 points for them as well. Cagliari, 15th with 14 points, one back of those two, while Parma sit just a point above the relegation zone. Parma have 12 points from 15 matches. Torino also just by the nick of a hair ahead of Spezia. Torino have 11 points. They're 17th, but also with 11 is 18th Spezia and 19th Genoa, while Crotone are in the bottom. They're in the basement, 20th place. 15 matches, 9 points. Let's look at tomorrow's matchups, okay? Or for those of you listening, it's today, if you're listening when this comes out, so... On Wednesday, January the 6th, here's a whole slew of matchups in Serie A. Cagliari hosting Benevento, Atalanta hosting Parma, Bologna hosting Udinese, Crotone hosting Roma, Lazio at home to Fiorentina, while Inter travel to Sampdoria, Sassuolo will try to rebound. They're at home to relegation candidate Genoa. Torino will try to move away from that line. They host 8th place Hellas Verona. Napoli are home to Spezia. And then the big one at uh, 2.45 Eastern time here in the United States. So that is 8.45 local time in Italy. It's Milan hosting Juventus in a Classico, if you will. A uh, match of the two G- two of the giants of Italian football historically and in terms of support. 
and it'll be at the San Siro. Milan really with the chance to possibly knock Juventus out of the race, I think. If Juventus lose all three points here and, and Milan open their lead to 13 points, that, that match in hand all of a sudden isn't going to be enough. I don't think uh, Juventus cannot afford to lose this match, in my opinion. I could be proved wrong later, but they certainly... Though they want to win, they absolutely cannot lose because they cannot let Milan get that far ahead. Also, Inter right there with them with Milan as well. Juventus does not want to let those teams get any further ahead than they are. They really have to go on a big run and try to reel those teams back towards them. We'll see. As I said, Juan Cuadrado tests positive for COVID-19. He will not be in action. And the local government of Turin has, says, has said that if another case pops up, in the next 24 hours, they're not afraid to prohibit Juventus from traveling to Milan for this match. So hopefully this match will happen, <laughs> which is, I guess, that's something you could say about every match every week right now in the current situation that we operate in. But um, 245 ESPN Plus here in the United States tomorrow. And then this weekend, an another round, it'll be round four, it'll be, sorry, round 17 this weekend. So we will have on Saturday Benevento versus Atalanta, Genoa versus Bologna, and Milan versus Torino. Sunday Roma host Inter in an early morning matchup, 6.30 a.m. at the Olimpico. And that one, 6.30 a.m. our time, of course. Um, and that one is a is second versus third that is a big one surprise they're playing at a lunchtime kickoff on sunday for a big match like that of course that's the match that's made for rai tv at lunchtime in in italy no question um a few hours later you get hellas verona versus crotone and parma versus lazio as well as udinese and napoli and then later in the day fiorentina hosts cagliari and at the end of the night, 8.45 local time at the at the Juventus Arena. You got Juventus taking on Sassuolo, another six-pointer for Juventus. And it's the Allianz Stadium, as it's called. I had forgotten the corporate sponsorship name of the stadium. But Juventus, two matches that are six-pointers for them between now and the next time we visit Italy next week. And I think it's... A, it's these are matches they have to come up with. They have to get you know a minimum of four points in these two, but really need six points if they want to stay in touch and really make that push to win that tenth uh, Serie A title in a row. Okay, they got nine in a row right now, if my math serves me correctly. And the club had a; they were open about their goal a few seasons ago, and bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo was to reinforce this goal that they wanted to win ten straight. It was not just to do better in the Champions League, which has not happened as of yet. But you could hardly blame CR7 for that, as he has performed at the highest level in that competition of any player in the competition. You know, Jimmy Conrad of CBS Sports has said he's the best Champions League player in the world. He said there's no there's debate over who the best player in the world is, but there's no debate over who's the best in the Champions League in Champions League matches. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's go to the scoring um, the scoring charts right now. The statistics 
And it is said legend GOAT Cristiano Ronaldo, top of the scoring list in Serie A now. 14 goals, two ahead of Romelu Lukaku, who has 12. And the great Zlatan right behind them with 10. Same as Chiro Immobile, last year's Golden Boot winner. And then Latoro Martinez, Andrea Bellotti, and João Pedro follow them with nine each. That is that is it for Italy for now. Um, next week, midweek next week, we have Coppa Italia also. So we'll break it down in next week's matchup, okay? Or next week's podcast, excuse me. After we review all two rounds of results, we'll talk about Coppa Italia as well and preview some of it and just or at least read off the matchups so that we can cover it in the following podcast. All right, we're going to make a quick trip now from Italy to the southeast. We're going to Greece. There was a big match this past weekend in Greece, in Athens. It was a derby of Athens between contenders. Before we talk about that, I'll read off the rest of the results, or I'll do my best to read these, as you've heard my difficulty pronouncing Greek names in the past. Um, Sunday, January the 3rd, Panathinaikos 0, Astreas Tripoli 0, Panetolikos 2, Ofi 1, Larissa 1, Pauk 1, Janina 1, uh, Apollon Smirninis 3. And then on Monday, uh, NFC Volos 1, Atromitos 0, Lamia 2, Aris 0. And the one I didn't mention is the big one. It is the reason we're talking Greek football this week. And it is the Derby of Athens. And it is Olympiakos taking on Ike with control of the league, perhaps on the line here. And it is Olympiakos 3, Ike 0. More of the same in Greece. Here are the lineups. We're going to start with Ike in goal. They had Sintotas in goal. Uh, Mikalis Bakakis as the right back. Cherjinski and Neda Lakaru are the central defenders with Elder Lopsch as the as the left back. And then two holding midfielders for the side, managed by Massimo Carrera. As Andres Simoj joins Nedad Kristic in midfield with three attacking midfielders in front of him. Levi Garcia to the right. Marco Livaja to the left and Petros Mantalos in the center behind Karim Anasafard. And the champions managed by Pedro Martins would play in a 4-2-3-1. In goal, Jose Sa, the Portugal international. The right back is the is the former Flamengo star, former Copa America winner, former Bayern Munich star, Rafinha. And the center back pairing is Ba and Portuguese international Ruben Smedu with Jose Holebas as the left back. Two holding double pivot, or I should say two double pivots in midfield, just like their opponents for Olympiacos. Jan Mavila teams with Mohamed Madi Kamara. Bruma, another Portuguese international on the right. Constantinos Fortunis in the center. And Marios Varsoai, the left-sided attacking midfielder. They're playing behind the striker, who is the Moroccan international Youssef El Arabi. El Arabi with two goals in this one. 
And the other goal came to the substitute, Mathieu Valbuena. That's right, the French, former French international and uh, World Cup champion, Valbuena, had the other one. Also utilized were the substitutes, Andreas Bocacalakis, Lazar Rangelovic, and Tiago Silva. Meanwhile, Ike utilized all five substitutes, substitutions. They brought in Christos Albanese, Mamar Tenkovic, and Nelson Oliveira, Constantinos Galliano, uh, Stratos Svarnas, and in the end, the result falls the way that so many do in Greece as Olympiakos wins again. They are the record title holders. As you probably know, if you don't know much else about Greek football, uh, many people only know that Olympiakos win pretty much all the time. I know when I had Leo on, he was a diehard and is a diehard uh, Panathinaikos fan. I got to get him back on the show when we talk about Greece for sure. Um, his animation and his disdain for Olympiakos is, is something I can definitely relate to in my own personal rivalry with my rivals. As we look at Olympiakos, um, and they are Greek champions 45 times. Yeah, they're the 45-time Greek champion and 28-time Greek Cup winners. They are the team with the longest history. Their fans absolutely despise them. Um, there's been allegations of corruption. Leo will tell you that there has been corruption. There's not allegations. There is corruption. But they sit top of the table right now. Let's take a look at the table in Greece. As Olympiakos, through 13 rounds, are top with 35 points, 11 victories, 2 draws. They're 6 better than Adis, who right now sit in 2nd place. 3rd place is Pauk with 28 points. And then Ike is in 4th with 24 points, now 11 behind the leaders. Panathinaikos are 5th with 19. And Ovolos are 6th with 19 as well. And then what happens in Greece, just like in Scotland, is the table of 14 gets cut in half. Actually, it's not actually it's not actually in half in Greece. It's the top six advance to the championship stage, and they'll play another double round robin against each other, so that there are four classic matches. Four. There's essentially the second half of the season is essentially all rivalry matches in the Greek league. They'll play 10 more matches when the time comes against each other. So no lead is actually all that big because you can see points. You can just see points disappear in the second stage, in the final stage of the championship when all the six teams are just playing each other every week. But right now, seventh is Asteras Tripoli, 18 points. Apollyon is eighth with 15. Ofi right there with 15 as well. These teams still have a chance. Remember to get in to the top six. They're only a few points behind. Uh, Atromitos is 10th. Janina is 11th. Panetolikos is 12th. And then Larissa and Lamia are a bit further back in 13th and 14th. So the bottom eight teams will play in a relegation phase while the top six will play in a championship phase. The top scorer right now in Greece is Yusef Alarabi of Olympiacos. And lastly, before we go, I said I would give you the table in Portugal. If you want to know anything else about the Portuguese League, subscribe to the Mr. Benfica podcast. Yep, there's a shameless plug for my other podcast. And um, 
let's go to the Liga Nage table, and I'm not that happy about it, so don't expect <laughs> don't expect um, too much enthusiasm as I read this table to you. Top of the table, Sporting Lisbon, 32 points. Second place, FC Porto, 28. Third place, my Befica uh, dropped two more points this week on the road at Santa Clara. Fourth place is Braga with 24 points sitting in uh, the first UEFA conference spot, not the UEFA, uh, sorry, the Europa conference spot, not the Europa League spot. It's because Portugal will only send the cup winner and the third place finisher. The third place finisher actually will advance to the Champions League preliminary stage. Portugal will get three teams next year for the Champions League. They get one in the Europa League and two in the Europa Conference. That Europa League spot is is reserved for the cup winner. So if the cup winner does not, or if the cup winner has already uh, qualified for Europe, so if it's one of the top three, that means that the fourth place team will be able to go directly to the Europa League and not the Europa Conference. Braga right now, fourth place, 24 points. Fifth, this is where the race gets interesting. There's a nice race for fifth place brewing up. Vitoria Guimarães, 19 points. And Passos de Ferreira, also 19 points. Maritimo, five back from them with 14. Santa Clara, also on 14. Nacional, right behind them with 13, as is Gil Vicente and Morenense, all with um, 13 points. With 12 points, you have Code City, as I call them, or Bilinis Sad. We talked about the Sad uh, earlier in the sp- in the Spain portion of the episode. Same thing here. Here's a club where they they sold, you know, the majority of the club to a Sad. The Sad wasn't fulfilling its end of the uh, uh, of the contract, according to the club. The club kicks the Sad out of the club. So now you have a Bilinis playing in the bottom of the pyramid at the local level. Okay, trying to climb their way back to the national level, eventually back to the second and first division. While you have the SAD with their team in the first division, this team, Bolinis SAD, has no affiliation anymore to Bolinis. It's the historic club that was once champion of Portugal. Um, this this team has simply just this one football team, men's football team, and a U23 team, and that is it. That is the extent of their club. They're not even a club. So I expect that somewhere down the line uh, there will be a merger, and this sad will be taken in by another club who is struggling. My guess it's going to be a historic club or maybe just an ambitious club in the lower leagues that want to skip the whole promotion thing and get to the first division by by merging with this sad that has no club to attach themselves to right now. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, Tondela are right behind them. They have 12 as well. Portimones out of the basement now uh, through 12 rounds. They picked up a victory this week and got out of the basement. They're 14th. Family count also on 11 points. They're 15th. Remember, they were leaders for a large portion of last season and missed out on the Europa League by a sheer couple of minutes on the final day of the league season. And the team that missed out on the Europa League through a penalty shootout lost to AC Milan, a team we just talked about. Rio Ave, they have, their fortune has changed as they now found themselves in 16th place in a relegation playoff spot while Boavista and Farense take up the bottom two spots. That's it for this edition. Oh, I was going to say also, I said I was going to talk about uh, this Tomorrow is the Portuguese League Cup final for the women, for 
for women's football in Portugal. And, of course, my Benfica are in it, and that's why I am psyched. And, again, subscribe to Mr. Benfica, and you can get my review of this match later this week. So make sure you do that, all right? And that is going to be it for Episode 18 of Parking the Bus. I will say adios. I will say I will say. um Ciao. I lost my train of thought there and forgot how you say it in Italian. I will say ciao. I will say adios. And I will say until next week. We'll have much more to talk about once again when we pull the bus up in the Latin countries of Europe next week here on Parking the Bus. Thank you. Um, a little bit of a programming note before I, I let you go. Tomorrow will be a North American episode and not a South American episode. And the simple reason for that is Copa Libertadores and Copa Sudamericana going on tonight and tomorrow night. And therefore, um, I'm going to be watching those matches, obviously. And I'll report from South for South America on Friday after those matches have completed. Or sorry, on Thursday night after those matches have completed. You'll get it in your player um, Thursday morning, I should say. I believe that's when you'll get your 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 South American report in your feed. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on this. Tomorrow we'll talk Major League Soccer, and it'll be sorry we'll talk North American Soccer, Major League Soccer, not in, not on the forefront just yet. Uh, we will review the Major League Soccer Cup final. Okay, Columbus Crew crowning themselves champion of Major League Soccer. We'll also cover the Liga MX final. And, we'll, and see how Leon crowned themselves champions of Mexico. And we'll review the CONCACAF Champions League final as there was a mini tournament much, much, much similar to the way UEFA did it last spring. CONCACAF did the same thing this past winter about two weeks ago in Florida as they finished the competition that had been abandoned at the quarterfinal stage. So I'll run down that as well in the in the next episode and with an eye ahead to the weekend's Liga MX kickoff. So Liga MX will start their Clausura season um, next weekend. So I will definitely have a little bit of a preview or at least I will have this, the fixture list for this coming weekend in Liga MX. And like I said, on the next night, we'll cover South American football. We got Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, Brasileirão, and... Uh, Copa Diego Armando Maradona on the docket for that episode. So make sure you follow this space here and get all the episodes every day as I continue to bring you as much information as I possibly can, as much content as I can here on the PTB Media Network. This has been Parking the Bus, episode 18. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off. See you tomorrow. 